You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hi, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I'm your host, Kristen Maxwell. And today we're going to be exploring the topic of how to increase your personal power by healing trauma. And we are going to be talking to Lynn Frazier. And Lynn has 20 years experience teaching meditation. In addition to being a senior teacher in the Himalayan yoga meditation tradition, she's also a senior facilitator with Scott Killaby's Living Inquiries and National Rest. Lynn also specializes in working as a facilitator with clients one-on-one online to heal trauma. Uh, she's also the author of Friends With Your Mind, How to Stop Torturing Yourself With Your Thoughts, which is exactly along the lines of what I am hoping we all can learn how to do. So Lynn, welcome to your superpower mind. Well, thank you for having me, Kristen. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, I know you have so much to offer. My first question always, Lynn, is what superpower did you uncover as a result of mastering your mind? If I had to put that into a sentence or two, I would have to say something around being kind and compassionate to myself and being on my own side. And, you know, the title of my book, Friends With Your Mind, How to Stop Torturing Yourself With Your Thoughts, that kind of wraps it up, actually. That describes it quite well. Wow, that's great. So how did you... That's a, that's a huge topic. It is. How did you discover this, this um, ability to actually be on your own side? Was it through something in your past or something that you learned? Wait. How did that come up? Well, there, there are several threads of how that has worked. One of them is that I've learned a lot about trauma. So I seem to have a, a skill in researching all of the, you know, the current thinking around trauma and recovering from um, traumatic events is that, number one, trauma is a lot more than being in the military or having a car accident or even being physically abused. It's a lot of Um, emotional neglect, a lot of things that happen in our childhood that lead us to believe that nobody really cares, that nobody, um, that we're not lovable, we're not worthy. There's a lot of people that have that kind of core deficiency belief. Right. And you know what? This is very interesting that, that I love that you're already making this distinction is that often, right, when we think of trauma, we think of some significant event as having happened. And yet, it seems when with my work with my clients is, and with myself, of course, that when things happen to us that are not necessarily traumatic to us as adults, we have still somehow interpreted them um, to mean something that actually really is traumatic to us as a, a developing being. Is, is that your experience? Mm-hmm. And I had a, a big event. I was physically assaulted when I was riding my bicycle to work about 15 years ago. And I survived, somebody stopped and and the guy left and um, I survived the attack. However, 
when I was healing from that, I had uh, PTSD developed from that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of came back to a, a fairly okay place with that. But then several years later, I started looking into the work of Dr. Gavar Mate, uh, who's a trauma expert. And I started to realize that, in fact, maybe I hadn't healed all the way through. And I started to really understand developmental trauma, the effect of adverse childhood experiences, which is starting to be well known now. And also at the time that even when I was um, in treatment for the for the assault, a lot of what was thought to be good therapy was to to be working with our thoughts. It's thought, you know, talk therapy. And now through some of the work that, you know, Gabor Mate and um, Bessel van der Kolk and a lot of really cutting edge trauma therapists are discovering is that trauma is stored in the body and that we have to heal through the body. And so that was something that was very helpful to me even at the time, because by the time when I was assaulted, I'd been meditating for about 12 years and I knew a lot about the mind. And I also was teaching yoga and I knew how to relax my body. I knew how to work with my breath. And so that combination of being able to be present inside and to start to work with healing some of the traumatic effects of childhood neglect was really what it was a foundation for, for doing a deeper healing and to, to realize that the catastrophic thinking and the, anxiety and and numbness and addictions earlier in my life were all a result of the the childhood experiences that I'd had where I I was uh, sometimes it was more along the you know shaming and um, public kinds of things and other times it was just that experience in my family where I didn't really feel like I nobody really cared and one of the things that Gabor Mate talks about a lot too is that the parents don't don't mean to be harming their children. It's a, it's a, an effect of their own unhealed trauma. But the, there's a disconnection that happens. And that was what I was really working with, was a disconnection from other people and from myself. And so the healing of that is that I became connected with myself. And I became wow. friendly within. And that, you know, that coming back to where we started. Right. So it, it seems to me, because with the idea of of trauma is that maybe probably all of us then have some kind of childhood trauma because unless there are some people who are able who i guess parents who have themselves treated their trauma so much or their own issues that they're able to be fully present mm-hmm. well i think it's true that we've all experienced things that cause us to disconnect from ourselves mm-hmm. um, in a a healthy culture, we would have a wide range of adults available for children. And the pressure that, that a lot of parents are under right now is pretty intense. A lot of times there's divorce or, you know, both parents are working. There's not a lot of time and energy for for the adults, let alone for the children. But the good news around that is that it only takes about 30% of good connection in order to be enough for a child. And so so you don't have to be a perfect parent, but you do need to be a connected parent. And, you know, for a child to come in from school and have somebody's face light up and get a hug, I mean, that's really 90% of it right there, that we need to be present for our children and, and, and for ourselves. And we can't be present if we're dissociated 
or if we're you know lost in fear or anxiety or something like that so we really do need to do our own work as well wow we are going to have to go for a break right now and when we come back i would really like to go into you know what is it what are some of the pre procedures and processes that you take people through to let go of you know some of these symptoms of of not having of, of trauma and so before we go can you let people know where they can learn more about your work sure it's all through my website lynnfraserstillpoint.com so it's l-y-n-n-f-r-a-s-e-r stillpoint.com and i have a daily free online meditation practice too that's a great place to start that's on my website as well. Great. Thanks, Lynn. Um, when we come back, we are going to talk to Lynn some more about how you can, how to increase your personal power by healing trauma. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer -peer learning, intensive one-on-one -on -one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Welcome back. We are talking to Lynn Fraser about how she works with people to heal trauma. So I guess, um, first of all, what kind of, when you, with your clients, what kind of symptoms do you see them having? What are they experiencing in the world? Well, there's a broad range. If people wanted to look up ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences Score, online, they would find a list of 10 questions. And also, there's a lot of research on the kinds of things that people experience. And it could be anything from having that nasty voice in your mind that's always denigrating and shaming you to less financial success. There's more cancer, uh, more addiction, addiction for sure, more violence in people's lives. Adverse childhood experiences have a huge impact on people. And I see a wide range of those things in the people that I work with as well. Okay. Great. And I'm wondering, because this is one of the things that I, I has been my lifelong path to learn about is do you get a lot of people with anxiety? Yes, almost everybody with anxiety and anxiety and or depression. And often those those come together. Um, the thing about anxiety is that it's usually caused by some feeling of threat. And when we've had experiences in our life where we feel fear, which is really every child who grows up in an atmosphere where they're uncertain about their own safety is going to feel fear. And sometimes that's going to be very extreme. So somebody who grows up, for instance, in a family where there's violence or where they're, they might not be experiencing the violence directly to their own body, but they're seeing it in the house or they know that it's happening, they can hear it. That's a life threat. And our nervous system, our primitive brain, jumps into action to try to protect us. 
And so we go into fight, flight, freeze generally. And some, some people will lash out or go into anger, go into the fight response more. And people who do that um, tend to have more anger issues and have more um, chaos in their relationships because oftentimes they're, they're kind of lashing out. The freeze response is more of a numbing response. So, um, you know, you might be sitting at home watching Netflix or eating or, you know, getting lost smoking pot or something like that. So the, the, the core of it, though, is that there's some kind of a threat. And when we feel powerless, which we do when we're children a lot of the time, we're really dependent on our parents to provide a safe, connected environment for us. And if for any reason they're not, then we're kind of thrown back on our own resources. And what we know about children's brain development is that they don't have a lot of resources until they're older and our brains don't actually develop good resources without safety and without co-regulation. So we need adults in our lives that are emotionally self-regulated themselves mm -hmm. and that know what their feelings are and that can help us to feel that. Otherwise, we don't really develop those neural pathways. Right. So meaning we, they need to have parents be able to walk them through a little bit what they're feeling and ways to express it and let it go rather than getting trapped, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the, you know, the anxiety that we're seeing now could be really helped by some, some systemic, you know, some systemic kind of things like not feeling so pressured and having more family resources around. A lot of people are really disconnected in their communities. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of bullying in the workplace. There's, you know, a lot of people don't have other people around them that can help. So not only are the children quite isolated, but often the parents are too. Yeah. And some things like, you know, breathing practices, uh, teaching yoga in schools, those are really great um, ways that children can feel steadier on their feet and feel like they have some resources. Emotional intelligence, emotional and social connections, those are all really important. But what I see as adults is that a lot of the times when we were children, if we were afraid, that fear just got lodged in our body. It gets stored in our body. And then we're kind of afraid to go into our body. So even if we're trying to feel something, we might be thinking about feeling it instead of actually feeling it. And, you know, when teaching meditation for so long, I've really worked with a lot of people who are like, I literally don't inhabit from my neck down. All I do is I pay attention to the thoughts in my mind. And so our thoughts are trying to be helpful, trying to help us figure it out, but we're never going to feel safe in our mind. We have to feel safe in our body. And in order to do that, there are some practices that we can do that help with that. Right. And I definitely want to, I would love to hear more about that. Um, I, what my experience has been with myself in, my, in the past and with clients is that we get into this thought loop of trying to figure out what's going on to figure out what would help us to feel safe. And yeah. it goes into this long, endless loop where no way out of it. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to agree. And that that's a, that's a, a response to fear. We're trying to make ourselves feel safer and we, we don't exactly have the right tool for it, but that's, it's a good intention. 
Right. So this yeah. is funny. I don't usually um, bring these things up, but I, uh, for me right now, my, my oldest daughter is leaving for six months in South America this weekend. Mm-hmm. And I have discovered, I have done so much work on anxiety and let it, and that's often what I do a lot of work with. And I've discovered how much fear I still have in my body. Right. Around this. Mm-hmm. It's been, um, and but one of the things that's been so amazing is to have this big fear. I, I think it's some, you know, unresolved trauma at some level and have the thoughts start to take out and to learn that I now know have, have the skills to get out of my head and into my body and to get that feeling of safety. So mm-hmm. it's been... But it's been, uh, you know, it's been, it's been an interesting week. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's a really simple um, little practice that people could do. Do you want me to just kind of walk us through it? It's about oh, a- I, would, I would love that. So bring your attention to your forehead and your eyebrows. And just notice the softness through your forehead. You can lift your eyebrows up and let them relax down if you want. And just really focus as you breathe out, let your forehead soften. And then notice what your worry is. Bring to mind whatever images that you have. And then see if you can maintain that while you're relaxing and softening your forehead. So most of your attention on that softness through the forehead and then noticing your worry as well. What are the, the images and the words around that worry? So what was your experience with that? Were you able to worry? And yes. Well, you know, what was interesting is I called to mind my picture of worry, and mm-hmm. I immediately felt um, a tightening in my chest, and mm-hmm. my throat, which is where my fear often lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started to turn my attention to that. And then the reminder to go back into the forehead, the relaxed forehead, mm-hmm. the vision um, lost a little bit of power, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that's normally what happens. And another really simple tool to work with that as well would be to, as you're noticing the image, to just take two fingers and tap on your forehead, just to, just between your eyebrows, a little bit above them. Mm-hmm. And just as you're doing that, then take your attention now away from the image and just to put your attention on the sound of the tapping and on the sensation of your fingers tapping on your skin. And do that for maybe 12 or 15 times and then bring your hand down. And that generally will take some of the intensity out of that image as well. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is remind ourselves that we're looking at an image that is not actually real. It's an image of something that we're worried about. Yes, I love that. Because there is a way um, in that with the periods of fear, when periods of extreme anxiety, it almost, you almost start feeling like the event is happening and a reminder right. that, wait, this is actually not happening. This is my fear of the part of what is happening is my, I'm afraid of this loss of control 
almost. Right. And we're afraid of, you know, that something bad could happen. And the truth is something could happen and it hasn't, it hasn't happened. And worry all really just depletes our resources. It, it gives us so much stress in our body. Our bodies tighten up. We have health problems from it. And so when we find that we're anxious, there are some things that we can do like box breathing or the tapping or relaxing the forehead. There's some really simple things that we can do to interrupt it. And it's really worth doing that. It's worth interrupting because there's no benefit in letting our mind scare our body. Right. Yeah. Letting our mind scare our body. That's, that's a beautiful um, way of putting it. So I guess that once you've interrupted the image, you know, when, when people have really active minds, they often then want something else to think about. So do you recommend that people then come up with a thought that is more powerful or calming? Or what do you do then? Well, actually, we do something a little bit opposite from that. So when people feel uncertain about being present in their own body because there's stored trauma in there, we're kind of scared of that. And so the process that I do with people is to pay attention really specifically to the energy or sensations in their body. And trauma is stored with sensation and the associated memories. So if we're paying attention, like even that right now, if you're paying attention to that energy that was in your throat, there's a few things that we could do with that. One is you could notice the energy itself. What is it exactly? Does it feel like? Is it, you mentioned, I think it was tight. Sometimes it will be really still and kind of menacing or there'd be a movement in it. Do we have an image of it? Is there a color, a shape? So we can kind of look at it like a scientist would look at it. So what exactly is going on with that energy? And then we could notice there's space all around it. So no energy goes on forever. And so an energy in your throat, you might feel it up into your jaw, but maybe not out down into your shoulders or your hands or something. And then once we kind of have that perspective, we're, we brought ourselves back to mindfulness now. We're noticing we have a sensation and we're noticing what it feels like. And then we see if we could sit with the sensation just as though you're right in the middle of the sensation in that area of your throat and you could notice what it feels like. But then we invite, what, what's the sensation doing here? Like, does it want to tell us something? Does it want to know something? Is it warning us? Why is this sensation here? And then we sit and we wait and see what comes up. Mm -hmm. So we're not trying to think about what it might mean. We're actually just sitting with it and noticing it. And then oftentimes there'll be some images will come forward or some words and it's something associated with the trauma. And then we look at that and, and, so we go back and forth, but it's all really centered on being very present inside in our own bodies and learning that it's safe to do that. Wow. And then you're so, sort of training your mind to, to stop thinking and to quiet by being present with that. Yeah, and there might be thoughts coming up. There usually will be thoughts coming up when there's energy or sensation in our body. But then we look at the thoughts, you know, we might 
notice, okay, I'm getting really kind of drawn into this again. So we're, we're always keeping that mindfulness perspective. Mm-hmm. So we might look at this image of, you know, your daughter uh, going to South America and maybe being in some kind of trouble there. And so that's the threat that's causing this kind of reaction. And so could you put that image into a frame, for instance? So either a picture frame or a video screen, if it's like a moving a video clip. And then you could look at it and go, okay, that's actually just a picture. And you could do the tapping on your forehead. There's some other things that you could do as well. So we're, we're really looking at, we pay attention to the feeling in our body. And then we're sitting with watching what it is that's attached to that. What are the memories or the, the images, the worries? And then we, we remember that those are pictures. And, you know, something might come up of you when you were younger and you were feeling some kind of threat. And then you would look at that. But not through your own eyes as though it's happening again, but taking a step back, seeing yourself in the picture, putting frame around it or all of these other ways that we have to to stay in the observer that we're watching and seeing what's coming and going in the body and in the mind. Wow. That is a... um, Thank you for sharing that, you know, that process. Because I think for some people who have felt uh, captive almost to mm-hmm. their thoughts. This is a, a whole radical new skill. <laughs> it is. And we need to be a little bit firm with our mind. You know, with catastrophic thinking in particular, if that starts happening with me, I'll just, I'll notice it because I've, you know, I've always kind of keeping an eye on what's going on in my mind. Mm-hmm. But I'll notice it and then I'll, I'll look at that and go, you know, that's actually not something that I need to worry about. It's not something that's happening in truth. It's something that I'm worried about. So what's going on in my body? Could I take a few deep breaths? Could I go for a walk? Um, Could I call somebody and have a chat with them? Like, I don't actually have to entertain catastrophic thoughts that go through the mind. There's a lot of things that I could do to not do that. Because I know from experience that catastrophic thinking always makes things worse. It never makes it better. Right. And it doesn't actually... You know, I know that one of the things people often do without realizing is they've catastrophic thinking and it's almost this um, like magic wish that they're actually going to impact what actually happens if they are aware. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these are primitive primitive brain-based strategies and the primitive brain is very good at jumping right in and panicking basically (laughs) not very smart and so we need to bring in our more mature mind the you know the higher developed parts of the brain as well but also if we have if we have a system that's anxious or you know that has had trauma and and we're not very steady then it's really worth it to take the time to get steadier and to get more grounded. And for that, I think really regular practice of relaxing our bodies, uh, yoga for some people, Tai Chi, there's all kinds of ways that we can get back into our body and, and being kind with ourselves too. Like if this is the situation, if I have a, a, a mind that goes into catastrophic thinking, number one, there's, there's good reasons for it. And our culture alone generates a lot of anxiety and fear. But there's ways to work with that. And so a daily practice of 
relaxing or breathing or working with the mind, developing that capacity for mindful observation. Those are all very steadying for the nervous system. Yes, that is. And I love that the idea of being kind with yourself, because there's a way in which the anxiety can almost go into and knowing that you're being that you're catastrophizing and that that's your pattern. People end up being really mad at themselves, really disgusted. Yeah. And uh, there's nobody that's harder on ourselves than our own mind. And one of the things that can be very helpful, too, is to to think about if somebody that you really loved was in the same situation that you're in, would you be kind with them? Would you feel compassion for them? So, you know, it might be a daughter or a son, or it could be a dear friend or, or somebody else that's in the same situation you're in. So what would you feel towards them? Would you feel like they're an idiot or would you feel like, Oh man, that person's experiencing a lot of fear. What could I do to be reassuring? Or how could I help them to feel safer? And so this pattern that a lot of people have of really turning against ourselves isn't helpful. It's actually quite harmful. And it's really worth doing what you need to do. And there's so many ways to do this now. But becoming friends with our own body, our own energy, and working with kindness with ourselves is the, is the real foundation of healing all of that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think so much of what you've explained today can really help people who, if they're in that pattern of, you know, their mind racing a million miles Mm -hmm. is the first, the first step is just knowing and being aware of that's what you're doing. Yes. And even that you are turning on yourself. I think a lot of people do it without even knowing that they're denigrating themselves as they're worrying. And that is a trauma response as well. So it's, You know, when we are afraid, and a lot of children are afraid a lot of the time, and some some kids are afraid pretty much all of the time, but when we experience that in our body, we need to do something to heal it, and getting in control of a situation is one of the ways that our primitive brain thinks is a good idea. And, you know, some of these strategies have really helped us to survive to where we are now, and now we can look at it and go, wow that's actually, there's a high price that I'm paying for that. And I actually don't need to do that anymore. I'm not under that level of threat anymore. And I could actually heal this whole thing. I could actually be kind and and not have all of these trauma responses going on anymore. There's ways that I can heal that now. Wow, that's beautiful. And so, yes, just knowing that there's a way out of it, that you you are not, if this is what your pattern has been your whole life, you're not stuck with it. You exactly. Yeah. Yes. Which is, sometimes people don't believe it. But with if enough people are like, are telling yes, yes, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Then I think um, they start, you know, we're starting to help. <laughs> right. And I've had developmental trauma. I've had PTSD from an attack. I've had catastrophic thinking. I've had all of that. And I'm healed from that now. I don't have that anymore. I'm not my own enemy. I'm my own friend. And, you know, sometimes the people that I work with, they just can kind of borrow some of my confidence for a while until they start to see it themselves. And then they do start to see it and people's lives really change. 
And so I know this to be true. Absolutely, I know that to be true. We can yes. That's that's beautiful, and that is such um, my experience too. Because it's the certainty of you don't have to be torturing yourself any longer. Which mm-hmm. is why actually it was kind of a bit of a surprise for me this week to go. Wow, that pattern is still there. I've not had it for years. Right, such a big thing, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, very interesting. So I'm going to uh, be working with it, luckily. (laughs) So thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and that hope um, for people who are stuck in in their traumas. Can you, you, I know your website has some great, great resources on it. Can you remind listeners where they can find you? Sure. It's lynnfraserstillpoint.com. And I would really encourage anyone who wants to to come to the daily meditation. It's been going on for more than three years now, every single day at 8 a.m. Eastern. And the Zoom link is on my website for that. And I have a weekly blog. I have a lot of stuff on YouTube and on Insight Timer. So there's lots of resources there that people can learn about trauma or do some guided practices. There's a lot of ways that people can help themselves. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Lynn. No, thank you for having me. That's great. And listeners, um, thank you for being here, for um, wanting to create more peace in your own lives. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 